Hey, what's up guys? This is Tanner from TMNBaseballFan.com and my gosh, what is this? Like the third episode in a week? This is crazy. This is probably going to be a short one. Uh, but I wanted to talk about something that's been kind of uh, been going on in my head. I've been thinking about this quite a bit. Why do we like baseball cards? Like what is the deal with that? Like I feel like we can really kind of really kind of uh, pare it down to uh, looking at certain cards uh, for certain time periods. Not necessarily that have been produced, but uh, really more of when we are exposed to them. And uh, I find it very interesting. It's almost like you can have multiple hobbies inside of one. Now let me dive in a little more into that there for you. So um, let's look at, if you're, if you're around my age, I'm 43, uh, and you collect as a kid, that means that you're very privy to the junk wax era. And for those of you that are just coming back to uh, the hobby, the junk wax era is typically from 86-ish to 92, 93. Uh, this era was an era of overproduced uh, baseball cards and where they quite literally made millions of each card. And uh, so it's, it's, there's not really been another time period like it uh, since it's also characterized by not having any uh, real chase cards of any uh, significance in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of like inserts and parallels. Now there are a few outliers with prototypes and that sort of thing, but for the most part, um, it's really just kind of a, you know, uh, they made, uh, you know, 5 million, say, Barry Bonds rookie cards, and they made 5 million, uh, you know, Jerry Royce cards. You know, it's the same thing. Um, but anyway, uh, so for those of you who might collect those, like the 87 Tops Bo Jackson, uh, Future Star, the 85 Tops Mark McGuire, the, you know, 86 Tops Traded Bo Jackson also, or... Will Clark, I wish I used a different version other than Bo Jackson. <laughs> whoever, whoever it is. Um, we probably have those cards in our collections or want those in our collections because of nostalgia. There's not anything uh, wildly valuable about them unless they are graded and graded at like a 10. Um, and, you know, I get it. There's a lot of people out there that want those. Um, I fully get it. I fully understand the desire to get the highest graded, most perfect, most obscure version of a piece of your childhood as possible. I completely understand that. Uh, but it's like, comes at a very hefty price, right? It comes at a difference between uh, having a card that might be, say, $10 uh, for a base raw card that is decent condition versus a quote unquote perfect PSA 10 that might be a thousand dollars. Um, you know, this happens quite a bit, maybe not in that with that much of a disparity, but you get the idea. And maybe there are some, maybe there's many, I don't know. Um, I will say, uh, a couple, uh, possibilities might be like the 80 tops, Ricky Henderson, uh, 89 upper deck Griffey. I don't know how much a raw Griffey goes for these days, but any event, like there's there's a big disparity just to make sure the centering has been deemed perfect and the corners razor sharp by a third party, which is PSA. 
um, or SGC or VGS or whoever you like. Um, interesting stuff. Um, and like I said, I get it. For me, I personally made the decision to uh, stay away from graded modern type cards like that um, and use my money for real vintage or Canseco cards I like or other things. Um, so I think, for example, last I checked, and this is woefully outdated, you guys, like uh, information. It could be the same. It could be wildly higher. It could be wildly lower now. Um, but the 84 Donners, Don Mattingly, it's a great card. I love it. And I would rather a raw copy for $20. Uh, and if that's the cost, again, like I said, I don't know. Uh, instead of a $1,500 PSA 10. Uh, now, with the caveat that I'd have $1,480 more uh, to spend on something else. Uh, <laughs> because at the end of the day, an 84 Donner Stom Mattingly is still an 84 Donner Stom Mattingly. You know, that's kind of how it goes. That's, uh, that's how you, uh, that, that's kind of just how it works. Um, but again, I get it. I understand you want the, the you know, most perfect copy of what you have like mad nostalgia for. So, you know, I think probably collecting cards from that time period, uh, they allow us to really kind of indulge our nostalgia um, and really at a very cheap entry level, uh, especially when it comes to cards that are printed out today. So, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I love like even the, like the mother's cookies cards, the classic cards, um, there's so much that I just, I don't know, like, sounds kind of weird to say swoon over, but you get the point, I guess, uh, where I just, I think about these cards and I'm like, oh man, how cool would it be to have like the 87 classic green board game set again. And of course, the problem is uh, a lot of it's going to be space. Like those things take up a lot of space, you guys, like <laughs> it's pretty nutty, but um Part of the fun of this also is that like you can be nostalgic over them and um, not necessarily have them in your collection because you're never, you know, knock on wood, you're never going to miss an opportunity, so to speak, to get them because they'll probably always be around, at least for the you know, foreseeable future um, in, you know, decent quantities. You can't say that for all the cards. Like even like going back, like with T two hundred six cards, like you'll find uh, auction houses say, "Oh, insane monster find of these T two hundred six cards or whatever." Like they're still coming out of the woodwork for even T two hundred sixes. Like <laughs> those are not rare. I mean, they're rare compared to like you know eighty eight Donruss, you know for sure. But uh, you know you <laughs> you can go onto eBay right now and you can find. Uh, pretty much any t206 you want especially except for like the big four um and uh and maybe the other the next two they're rarest in that but so so aside from six cards you might be able to find uh <laughs> close the entire t206 set at any given point if you dig deeper if you have enough money you'll be able to put together the set um you know probably in fairly short order it's not like a lifetime achievement again unless you're going for uh, the Wagner and the Plank and uh, the McGee and oh, what's the other uh, the Doyle 
uh, those are the big four, of course, that, you know, typically people are going to say, if you've completed 520 cards out of that 524 card set, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> and there's plenty of big dollar cards um, in that T2S set outside of those four. I mean, uh, gosh, I think the next two, one of them is Demet, and he he goes for a good amount, and he's like, it's mainly because he's super rare, and there's another guy. But outside of that, then you have, um, you know, the Cobbs and the Youngs and the Walter Johnsons and, and all that. So, anyways, uh, I digress. Um, the 80s stuff, like, you could reasonably be assured that eh, if, you, if you don't have the cash to pick up a, you know, set of 86 tops now to satiate your, your cravings for nostalgia. Now, uh, five years down the road, you'll probably still be able to, um, if this isn't the right season uh, for you to be able to do this. Now, the next thing um, you want to go further, if you talk about nostalgia, is almost like a secondhand nostalgia. Now, if you're anything like me, you knew about the cards from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even T206s when you were growing up as a kid, but probably didn't have them. You could only dream about them. The Mickey Mantles, the Willie Mays, the Hank Aarons, Sandy Koufax, Roberto Clemente, Ernie Banks, all these guys, right? Um, and even in the 70s, like uh, you know Carlton Fisk and uh, Johnny Bench and Nolan Ryan, well, 60s and 70s, I guess. Uh, so there's a lot of guys, a lot of amazing cards out there uh, from the seventies and prior. Um, and so, uh, you know, what's the fun in collecting those? Well, the first step of us, you know, getting the eighties and nineties stuff was to get the cards back that we had. The second step, and it seems that this kind of happens a lot is getting cards, uh, that we always wanted, but never had the means to, you know, so that's another thing. So, <laughs> Where do we go with this information? What what do we do next? We have those cards. Well, the next thing we do, I think, is we probably research to make sure that we understand exactly what it is that we wanted back then and figure out what uh, what other ancillary cards there are out there that we want as well. Like you might, uh, you know, swoon over a 1966 Topps Willie Mays. Like that's probably my favorite card in the set. Uh, you might not even know that Fleer made a set in 1963. Um, and it has all kinds of amazing players in it. Yeah, it's got Willie Mays. It's also got Vertical Mene and Sandy Koufax. And uh, you know, I think there's Warren Spawn and, and a bunch of other guys in there too. Um, great set. So you also kind of take that step where you say, I may not have known these existed back then as a kid, but boy, two things are for sure. Number one, if I knew about them as a kid, I know I would have wanted them. And two, I know I want them now. <laughs> so that's another thing to think about. And they've got all kinds of food issues and regional issues from the 50s and 60s that are fun. Um, admittedly, my knowledge on the difficult issues uh, from those time periods are is, is very limited. Um, I love learning about the stuff. I mean, gosh, you, you teach me things about baseball cards and I will uh, soak it up. But... Um, anyway, so that's another thing. And even really when it comes to uh, going back to the the, t the tobacco cars, the T205s and 6s, and um, I'm not really a fan of T207s, but, um, you know, the turkey reds, I mean, all those things. Like, the, as a kid, you probably look at those and think, like, these deserve to be in a museum. <laughs> like, they are amazing 
historical artifacts. And so part of the fun of collecting those is to be like, you know, almost to kind of, you know, make your uh, inner child proud, <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to really articulate, especially since it's not something I've really uh, sat down to think about a whole lot and really kind of put pen to paper and all that. Maybe I'll write an article on this. It's been a while since I've written an article on anything recently. So, uh, so maybe this is a good, uh, good opportunity. Uh, so anyways, we go forward and we naturally, like there's kind of a connection. I actually did write about this in my book, um, about, and the book is confessions of a baseball card addict. If you're interested in checking that out on Amazon, I talked about junk wax being like a, uh, a gateway drug, um, because we get hooked back on junk wax because it's like, you know, cheap enough. And then we find out what the new stuff is. You're like, okay, this is great, but what new cards? Surely they're making new baseball cards still, right? Boy, would you be in shock if you didn't know that they did or not. Uh, <laughs> they make them all, you know, like every month it seems like. Uh, but anyway, so you start looking into these and these pieces that they're doing now are insane. Like they have incredible pieces of memorabilia embedded. They have one of ones and the design, the artwork is just like top-notch like it's incredible so um you know you kind of maybe end up going after that stuff uh for two reasons number one because it looks beautiful and number two because you recognize that there is some sort of manufactured scarcity and it's kind of exciting uh to be able to uh look for something uh that's really kind of exclusive uh, to be able to hunt something down and be the winner. And the fact that other people are bidding also kind of gives you validation uh, that this is a desirable piece. And I've had that happen to me so, so, so many times where there's a card or other type of collectible that I wouldn't have been interested in, uh, you know, a couple months prior. And I find out it's limited and you know, it's hot and everybody wants it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, Oh, what am I missing here? Yeah. <laughs> it's really kind of a funny thing how that works. Right. But, but that's how it works. So you kind of have like, uh, there's probably other reasons. There's probably a lot of other reasons I'm missing, but the three things I keep thinking of that keep coming back would be the nostalgia, the nostalgia of wanting other pieces and, uh, the beautiful, a high-end type of artwork feel that is desirable by others and in limited run. Um, so at the end of the day, cardboard is cardboard, right? You have, for the most part, two and a half by three and a half inches of a picture of a player that plays our favorite game. Uh, and, uh, you know, some can look great. Like, uh, let's say... Uh, what was that tops? I really like it. It's a tops cosmic or something. I don't remember. I don't really keep too much up with the new stuff, but you have some that looks great like that or stuff that don't look so great, like maybe 1990 Fleer. But at the end of the day, um, I tend to think that a 1990 Fleer Dave Justice will put a smile on my face just like a you know Mike Trout. Uh, autograph. Now, of course, there's a lot more feeling behind one for the other. Um, 
because one's going to be worth significantly more. But when it comes to enjoyment, man, how can you make something beautiful enough or limited enough to compete with like a 90 Fleer Dave Justice with all the memories that you have attached to it, right? It's kind of how I think about it. Anyways, like I said, just a quick episode, just a few of my thoughts. Now I have something to think about uh, if it comes to me, uh, if I want to write something. So anyways, thanks for listening and I hope you have a great rest of your day.